0: Our US Open coverage is sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health.
1: And as part of our US Open coverage, Kim and I are taking a little AG1 challenge of our own, and we'll be updating you on our AG1 journey and how it's improving our health and wellness. So Kim, you've now started an AG1. How are you finding it?
0: I'm loving it, Chris. I recently went to the Lake District for a long weekend, and I love the fact that I could just take the travel packs with me. They fit nicely into my weekend bag, and it meant I could still approach my my daily nutrition in exactly the same way wherever I am in the in the country.
1: Yeah, I mean, I left the country, I took mine to New York. And I think you'll agree that at the tennis, uh, you don't always have the most healthy food available. So I definitely needed that nutritional top up. And so if you're looking for a comprehensive solution for your supplement routine, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first
0: purchase. Go to drinkag1.com tennisweekly. That's drinkag1.com tennisweekly. Check it out.
2: Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you.
0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris on today's US Open semi-finals catch-up sponsored by AG1,
1: Chokovic puts the phone down on a spirited Shelton,
0: Medvedev springs a surprise
1: and and Sabalenka face off in the final.
0: Today is the 9th of September. We are here bright and early on Saturday morning to catch up on the semifinals of the US Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. We have a men's final of Novak Djokovic against Daniel Medvedev lined up. And a ladies final of Coco Gough and Arena Sabalenka on its way tonight as well. Uh, Lots to talk about. Also some exciting doubles uh, updates. And very excitingly, the winner of Collector Set. We already have a winner, an outright winner. No need for tiebreaker. This is unheard of. (laughs) So um, we'll be revealing that just before the first break today. Um, But Chris, how are you doing? Uh, Late night after watching the... uh, alcaraz medvedev match last night
1: i didn't stay up for the whole of it um but i did make you get up very early this morning so i have to say that um i hope you didn't stay up either because uh, we have busy days ahead i'm off to sweden a little bit later so um unfortunately i had to catch up on the highlights this morning so i was very impressed by that but um yes we are recording at what is it 9 a.m your time
0: I love how you're just popping to Sweden for the day um yeah. but, but obviously you can uh Copenhagen. In, it's wonderful. based in Copenhagen but I'm actually funnily enough I'm actually sort of popping to Sweden because I have plans to go to Ikea today uh in Milton Keynes basically so the
1: Swedish embassy
0: <laughs> it's basically Sweden isn't it when you go to Ikea
1: you are in Swedish um Swedish territory when that happens exactly
0: yeah it is like an embassy. I'm gonna get some meatballs. You're probably gonna have some meatballs when you go to actual Sweden. So all is well. Um but so let's so. get on to the <laughs> let's go on to the tennis. Sadly no Swedish players are involved at the latter stages of the <laughs> tennis. Uh but we have had let's let's catch up on the men's semi-finals because you and Joel are actually going to be covering the ladies' semis later on in the episode. Uh the men's semis, I think one went very much to plan that everyone was sort of predicting and the other one somewhat not. So let's start with the the more predictable of the semifinals, which was Novak Djokovic against Ben Shelton. This ended three straight sets to Djokovic, uh, 6-3, 6-2, 7-6. Djokovic is now into a record equaling 10th US Open final, and he will get the chance to play for that 24th Grand Slam, which will be, you know, the outright uh, amount if he you know, does does get over the line. Uh, what did you make overall of, of Djokovic against Shelton? Was this match um better than you expected it was going to be? Did Shelton impress you more than you thought he might, or was it just very much um par for the course?
1: <laughs> I think I think there were moments where he did and moments where he he didn't quite live up to the hype at times. I think the first two sets, I think he was quite overwhelmed by Djokovic's experience i think Djokovic's experience really did um make a really big um impression on the match and in that final set um that they played the third set he had some great fighting qualities you know he really showed up and i think that's what we talked about i thought he would really show up for a set i thought he might steal maybe pinch a set um And he wasn't obviously able to in the end. But um, I think it is just a case where he's done a fantastic job this tournament and he's played some great tennis and some of the highlights from that match. I mean, he was hitting 143 mile an hour second serves. He was doing kind of all sorts. and. You have to think that, you know, there's a lot of excitement there, which I think is great because he enjoyed himself. But at the same time, there were some interesting shot choices, you know, wanting to do that monumental thing. I think he's watched a bit few too many Rafa Djokovic matches, you know, trying to do that crazy shot down the line. And maybe if he went for a bit more percentage tennis, there could have been a fourth set because he definitely had the game on the day to push Djokovic to four. But I mean, you predicted Djokovic in three. It was Djokovic in three. No surprises from your side, Kim.
0: No, and and I think, you know, Ben Shelton, he's got such power, like some of those, you know, booming serves, but it's up against, you know, Djokovic is the best returner on tour and he was able to return those with, with ease really. And, you know, the power needed to be a bit more controlled. Yeah, like you said, a bit more percentage tennis, but that's the sort of thing Ben Shelton at age 20 will learn the more he gets into these situations and the more he gets to play... You know, greats of the game like Novak Djokovic so I thought overall it was yeah he was a bit overwhelmed to begin with but he made a good good show of himself um, in that third set especially you know if he break broke back to take it into that tie break it would have been fun if it had you know gone on to a fourth set especially for the crowd with their home home player but um you know, I think Djokovic will probably be quite relieved to have got it done in a three to get into the final without extending, you know, too much um, too much effort. And, and this match was played under the roof as well, we should mention, because it was storming and thundering in, in New York. So um, whether that, you know, changed things as, as well, I, I don't know. But I think, you know, ultimately, whether it was in... You know, sunshine, heat, uh, you know, under a roof, Snow. Local, what have you. I think Djokovic was going to always come out the winner. Um, so somewhat inevitable. And, you know, Djokovic, he has been supreme again this year at Grand Slams. You know, this he's reached the final of all four majors. That that blip in the Wimbledon final against Alcaraz is the only only uh, mark on the record so far. And he will be going to uh, for his third slam of the year. It's only the third time he's actually got to all four Grand Slam finals in the same year. Uh, the, the first two times of 2015 and 2021. So um, it's been, you know, a very, very impressive season yet again for Djokovic. And you can tell he's really just focusing on those slams now. And um, that that is, you know, they are his main goals. And he's uh, really peaking at those events.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the key things that I... Um... I noticed in in these sort of matches is that um, he is really bringing it at slams and outside of slams I think it is slightly a a different Djokovic at times Um, and I think when you look at what's happened previously last year for example where he didn't necessarily have the grand slam results he obviously wasn't able to play in the US it really makes you think that when it comes down to it um, if Djokovic is fit enough to play, you know the ta- more tournaments he's able to really put together a season. Because after last year, I'm not sure everyone thought it would be four finals necessarily. I think he was a bit more um, of an unknown quantity, and I think at times this year we haven't known what sort of form he will be in coming into certain tournaments. And he's played his way into form, and he's triumphed against you know some of the the real kind of contenders of the tour. So it's a year without Rafa, but it is also um, a year where Djokovic has shown that even if there isn't kind of a Rafa or a Federer on the tour, that he is still the one to beat.
0: Yeah. And he's, he's knocked out a few like young, uh, young hopes in the likes of Shelton and Fritz. And aside from going two sets down to Las Loger, which was quite strange. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's had a unmarked run through, through the draw. And, you know, he hasn't won this title for five years. You know, he got to the final two years ago, a lost to Daniel Medvedev. but we'll get onto that a bit later when we look at their head to head. But, um that was, you know, when he was very much going for winning all four in in one year and he fell at the final hurdle this time, you know, he knows he can't win all four in one year because he's already lost Wimbledon. So probably going into it a, a lot more, a lot more relaxed, potentially, although, you know, number, number 24, 24 is yeah. on the line. So it's good that I think, you know, for, for him and his perspective, he hasn't let 24 get to him so far this tournament. We haven't seen that appear in his performances it's been very you know cool calm and collected as usual and also a bit of fun because what I really liked at the end of this match was um Djokovic yeah like it kind of initiated the the Ben Shelton celebration with the phone that he's been doing and and as he went to the net he just sort of did a you know a, a mime of putting the phone down which I he really slammed enjoyed the
1: phone down he hung up <laughs> I mean almost as though it was um the person at the end of the, of the the line was trying to sell them some you know some a telephone sales person it was Firmly a call he did not want to receive, but I thought it was quite fun, wasn't it? Because, you know, Djokovic is obviously, as you talked about, um, 36 and Ben Shelter's 20. So he, he can join in the fun um, when it comes down to it. And I think it sends a great kind of quite fun message because he does say that these are the matches and occasions he said in press afterwards that he thrives on um and get me kind of going inspire me to try and work as hard as these young guys that you know he's working as hard when it comes to the celebrations he's not just resting his laurels and doing the usual um i think he does the cross and then he looks up to the sky but this time he did that a lot of admin does that and then hangs up the phone but um i think ben took it in good spirits right kim
0: Yes, he was asked about it, and uh, he did say, "You know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery." So uh, he 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 didn't find uh, Djokovic, cool, you know, yeah. doing it as sort of offensive or anything. I think it was just, you know, in the sort of good spirited banter that you get at the U.S. Open, and um, maybe Djokovic, you know, he's won so many matches, maybe he wanted a new celebration to to try out because it's Inspired you know a bit different. by the young guns, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. He's what got would a, your got a celebration be, Kim?
0: That'd be uh,
1: tricky. <sighs> A raising a chocolate. cup of tea chocolate <laughs>
2: you, you, you,
0: you'd mind unwrapping some chocolate yeah a big bar of Cadbury's yeah that'd or, be your signature water
1: bottles would be the chocolate instead of wrappers yeah
0: <laughs> yeah but yeah maybe a cup of tea being very British that I am yeah uh, with, miming one, finger. with yeah, one, one finger like the old-fashioned little teacup yeah exactly could do, could do that although that actually looks a bit like the phone symbol. it's basically the
1: phone <laughs> yeah okay
0: so yeah you'd have to clarify um, that yeah um, but yeah I really I thought that was quite a nice touch at the end and I think you know Shelton will be pleased with the tournament that he's had getting to the semi-finals he's exceeded probably most people's expectations and he's rightly earned his way you know through the draw to, to get there beating Tommy Paul and you know Francis TFO you know his compatriots so I'm really excited to see what we're gonna get from him at you know other slams you know especially the hard court ones where he's you know this year had, had some great results at the slams. so uh, where do you think like Shelton's going to go from here like what do you think going into like say the Australian Open or you know going on to the, the rest of the tour especially the hardcore events are we going to start to see him being a regular f- feature at sort of the latter stages do you think is it can he keep this momentum going
1: yeah, I think it's it's he's such an exciting prospect. I mean, live ranking, he's number 19 now. So that really does open up the draw to you. I think he was um, either a very, very low seed here or unseeded. Um, I think his rank is around 35. So it does depend on whether, you know, players are going to withdraw as to whether you get seeded and whether you get a good draw. Um, so it means that going into, you know, the next slams, he will have a pretty good draw. He will be kind of seeded for at least a third round. Um, but the thing that I think so promising about Ben is that, you know, we talked about Djokovic just now. He's able to peek at the slams. Um, and it seems like, in many ways, having not really strung together too many wins this year, Ben is also able to do that. But at the, the tender age of 20, you know, I think it shows that um, there's something about the, the moment that really inspires him. And I think that's so important because we've seen so many players do the opposite. You know, we've seen Sasha Zverev in his early years have all the talent, but not be able to make a quarter final. I think that was until he was already kind of a a staple in the, in the top 10 um, at that point. So it is really promising when you have these results and you have two results early. I think that's something that we've seen, you know, that Coco golf had some fourth rounds um, because the obvious, I mean, there are comparisons there in terms of their very different experiences where Coco for a 19 year old is probably the most experienced 19 year old. We've ever, (laughs) we've ever had a bar Martina Hingis um, or maybe a Sharapova um, in terms of uh, matches on, on the tour. But I guess that's where it's so interesting is that Ben kind of burst onto the scene. No one really knew anything about him. And now after one year, he's made a name for himself. So let's hope that he sees this as a springboard. You know, why can't I go even further? Um, as opposed to, you know, living up to the pressure of quarterfinals and semi-final appearances.
0: Yeah, and I love the fact that he does seem to so far we've seen him kind of peak at the slam events and that's why he's brought his best tennis which is ultimately what you want to do and no offense to like the 250s of the tour you know you want to make it at the slams uh if you are going to make it anywhere the challenger
1: um, tour I mean
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well some players you know love the challenger tour and, and have to play there and they're great and they win all these they rack up all the challenger titles and you know that's that's great but um you know that's that's the sort of Next step, step down, isn't it? But um, we're not here to talk about the Challenger Tour today because we do have another US Open semifinal to round up, which was Carlos Alcaraz against Daniel Medvedev. And... Daniel Medvedev has spoiled, I would say, a lot of tennis fans' uh, hopes overnight because they were really hoping, I think, for, you know, top two seeds, a rematch of the Wimbledon final, Carlos Alcaraz against Novak Djokovic. That was the match that was earmarked for the final, real popcorn match. Uh, set to be a thriller, but it's not to be because Daniel Medvedev played lights out tennis and knocked out the defending champion in four sets uh, 7 6, 6 1, 3 6, 6 3. So Daniel Medvedev is into, I think, his third US Open final. Uh, he's won one, lost one already. You know, he is a former champion here already, um, which I guess we probably overlooked when we sort of looked at the seeds progressing through the draw. I think we all just thought Alcaraz would get the better of him. Um, But it was not to be. Chris, what did you make of, um, you know, from having watched a bit before you went to bed and then the highlights this morning, what did you make of this match? What was the kind of key story of this match which saw Daniel Medvedev uh, get the win?
1: Well, the big thing that we talked about in the quarterfinals uh, podcast that we did, Kim, was about this return position that Medvedev has and how he really suffered with that return position in previous head-to-heads especially at Wimbledon um, where he was so far back that you know it was really a, a point where Carlos was able to come in Carlos was able to dominate and he never really got into that semi-final at all we were all quite surprised by that so this result really really is surprising but I think he said afterwards it shows that you can do that from the back of the court his game plan wasn't the problem it was his execution on those days and he said it himself afterwards he played 11 out of 10 tennis and I think that's something we haven't seen you know 11 out of 10 from him this year we've seen 10 out of 10 maybe at times you know he's picked up titles in Rotterdam, Doha, Dubai, Miami um, so if you look at kind of his hardcore record of the year he's the tour leader I mean he's 38-5 on hard courts um, but coming in didn't have the form quarterfinals in Toronto third round Cincinnati and normally we see him pick up a couple of titles or a couple of finals coming into the US Open finals so I mean, for him to do this, I think he really did sort of spoil the party in many ways and lived up to his sort of um, the villain reputation at the US Open, where uh, he obviously took out the young hope, the defending champion. And I think it, it's, it's good to see because I think we've had comments from Zverev um, after the Alcaraz match where he was kind of um, swept aside, where he said, you know, that Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic are on a, their own level. Um, And I think that's something where he said that other guys have got to catch up. And it's comments like that, that I think really inspire Medvedev to say, actually, hang on a minute. Um, I've had a great season. I'm the world number three now. And I I can do an awful lot about that. And he really showed everybody that they were expecting a straight set's defeat, maybe. And it was a four set win.
0: Yeah, because I think going into it, when you looked at Medvedev and Alcaraz in their head to head this year, they've played twice this season. Medvedev's lost both matches, I think, in straight sets. I think in all those sets that they've played, Alcaraz, you know, didn't lose more than three games in each of those sets. So it'd been quite one sided um and then we haven't like you said seen medvedev excel at the the north american hardcore swing so i think it's just kind of been dis- discounted we just all assumed that oh alcaraz you know he's a two time slam winner now he's he's right up there he um he's he's gonna get the job done um but yeah i think i think actually it, it'll probably long run you know maybe maybe will help alcaraz because he came out after in his press conference to say that he didn't feel like he was mature enough to actually handle some of the stuff medvedev was throwing at him and he he wasn't able to kind of think about an alternative like strategy so I think he knows he's got to go away and still do a lot of work you know he's still so young and although he got that amazing win at Wimbledon um and also winning here last year he's still on his own journey and progression like he's at such a phenomenal level already which is scary but there's still going to be instances where people can get the win and he's not you know he's not Automatically in the same league as as a Djokovic, you know, we've got to remember that. So perhaps we over expected on um, Alcaraz, but going back to Daniil Medvedev, yeah, he knew he had to bring. Um, well, he said, you know, he need, he he said that he needed to play eleven out of ten, and he played twelve out of ten, uh, except for that third set that he dropped. Um, and he knew he had to do that, and and he did it, and he's going to need to do that in the final as well, isn't he, Chris, to uh, to get the win there as well. Um, I mean, going just looking at the final, do you, how important do you think the fact that Medvedev beat Djokovic here two years ago in the final? Do you think that will really help Medvedev going into it because he knows he can do it?
1: Yeah, I mean, he talked about that match in press afterwards, and um, that was a situation where you know you wouldn't necessarily have thought that he would have he would have won that match. And the thing that's interesting is that lots of people would think, wow, you can take a lot of kind of comfort from the fact he had that win. But he said about Djokovic that. Every time he's beaten, he comes back stronger and he he grows and he gets better. You know, take the loss that he had um, against um, Alcaraz at Wimbledon. He comes back in Cincinnati and he does a statement victory, you know, in an an emphatic match that was very similar to that contest. And uh, you never really have a situation where Djokovic will lose twice in a row to a player. Um, it definitely, I mean, losing once, I think is bad enough for Djokovic, but losing twice is something that's almost unthinkable. It really does motivate him. So I think he's well aware that this is going to be a different contest to the straight sets win he had for that final, where there were obviously a lot of other things at work. And I think in many ways, um, he felt like Djokovic shouldn't play his best tennis at all. Um, and so I think that's something that's really interesting is that Medvedev is actually expecting it to be the detriment to him <laughs> the last time they played in the final, that actually... Um, he got the better of Djokovic.
0: Yeah, when you when you play Djokovic, you almost yeah you don't want to have beaten him maybe the time before because you know he's going to unleash that sort of uh, extra extra mode from Djokovic. You you need to catch him unawares, don't you? I mean, that match two years ago was slightly odd because I think Djokovic was um, under so much pressure because he was trying to go for you know the grand, the year Grand Slam, and uh, this time you know there will be that pressure because he's I guess going for number twenty four. That's the only thing that that may sort of work against him. But I think even like he's learned from from two years ago, and I think he's he's learned not to let that get to him as much. And I don't expect to see the same sort of performance as two years ago. Um, I actually do think that if it had been Alcaraz in the final, I think Djokovic would still have beaten him anyway. Um, but I mean, <laughs> that's irrelevant now. <laughs> was that,
1: would that be based on the tennis? Or do you think that was based on kind of, I mean, no one has defended the US Open for so long now. And, you know, coming off that Wimbledon win, winning two in a row, and beating Novak Djokovic twice in a row. Is that just an ask too great?
0: Yeah. And I think it's just because, uh, like you said, when Djokovic is beaten, he comes back and he makes sure that that doesn't happen again. But also, I think the the pressure of coming into this as defending champion... um, and having Carlos Alcaraz having beaten Djokovic at Wimbledon, everyone would be expecting more of him this time round. And I think, I think maybe maybe that's played a bit on his mind here as well. You know that expectation, hence he didn't quite turn up uh, as he needed to in the semi final with, with Medvedev. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think he didn't play badly. I think that genuinely Medvedev played some of the best tennis I've seen. I mean, his movement was unbelievable. Two of the best movers you've ever seen. So looking kind of at that final, I mean, I really feel like it's going to be a a hugely physical match. I think even more physical than, um, you know, uh, the Ben Shelton final set that they played, because I really think Medvedev is not someone who is prone to unforced errors. Ben Shelton, in kind of the heat of the moment, he's going for shots that it's a one out of ten chance of making it whereas Medvedev um, is very much not like that and he actually said that he was moving so well that even on points he lost he was like oh wow I can pretty much get anything back today and Djokovic is also someone who is a great retriever so I think whatever happens we're going to look at a really long match and a really long contest and maybe something more similar to that epic final he had with Nadal.
0: Oh, the the Medvedev Rafa final. Yes, in, was that twenty nineteen, wasn't it? That's that was the year that Medvedev sort of really first burst on and had that amazing incredible USA yes run, exactly like the swing. Yeah, I mean the last time, just looking at Medvedev and Djokovic's head to head, Medvedev actually won their last encounter, which is in Dubai earlier this year in the semi-finals, six four six four. But I don't, just don't think we can take too much from that because that was not at a Grand Slam. Like as we said, Djokovic has really targeted towards the slams so um, I, d- I don't think we can look too much into those and then the last time Medvedev got a win was, was the US Open 2021 Djokovic has won all all the sort of four encounters uh, in between on, on hard courts so some of the matches have been you know fairly close but I, I just I for me there's only there's only going to be one winner for me um, really predictions what What do okay. you think I'm, I'm going to go Djokovic in four sets for the final
1: I think Medvedev in five. I just, Ooh. I, I, I think the tennis for Medvedev. I mean, he was making slices down the line as passing shots. That's not a Medvedev shot. And if he can bring <laughs> that sort of level, I mean, it's, it's a scary, it is a scary prospect. I mean, his movement was exceptional. His belief was exceptional. And I really think that if he is playing his best tennis, I think it will be a five-set contest, I think. And in that fifth set, will Djokovic still back himself after, you know, some of the scar tissue from Wimbledon? I probably think that he still is the person who has more to more to lose and the pressure will be on him and number 24 doesn't get easier um Serena saw that especially it it can get tricky even if you are the best player on the court are you the best player in the final on the day that would be the question but again who am I to doubt Djokovic you know the greatest of all time but I just there's something about Medvedev in this match before this didn't think Medvedev was going to do anything (laughs) and now I'm like he's going to win the US Open
0: (laughs) well we have seen it before so uh we'll we'll remain with slightly different predictions but uh listeners tell us what you think what's going to happen on Sunday night um before we go to a break though Chris I just want to touch upon uh two results actually um we've got some really fantastic uh, news from the men's doubles with Joe Salisbury and his partner Rajiv Ram uh, winning three straight US Open titles now. So they clinched the title this year against uh, Ebden and Bapana. Uh, they came back from uh, losing the first set to win in three. And they've now, yeah, won three titles on the trot at the US Open, which is fantastic. I don't think anyone's actually done that in the Open era. So they have have made history with that result.
1: I mean that's it's really incredible because coming into this they really hadn't had you know that much form I mean they've been together now I think for five seasons and today they uh, this season they hold a 2016 record which is not great for them I mean they've normally picked up titles masters along the way um but they haven't really had that sort of success today so it's it's great to see that they've been able to put it together again and when you see sort of partners not getting results, it's so easy to decide to switch it up and get a new partner, but they stuck stuck with it and they've, they've made history in that sense.
0: Yeah, they've been playing together for five years now and they've got, you know, three US Open titles and an Australian Open. So it's great that they have like stuck it out, not sort of chopped and changed. Um, and yeah, they're going, I think, up to now sixth in the live doubles rankings, uh, which is, yeah, they have been obviously higher ranked. They've been world number one. So um, just fantastic. Really pleased for Joe because he'd sort of been... Yeah sort of we haven't been seeing seeing those results really this this year um throughout the season so really fantastic. Uh shame he won't be at the Davis Cup in Manchester but uh obviously there's quite a lot of competition with uh, men's doubles uh, from from the from the British perspective with uh, the likes of Neil Skupski anyway. Um and just on the women's doubles, uh, a previous guest of the podcast, Gabby Dabrowski, she yes. is into the uh, women's doubles final with her partner, Erin Routliffe. So they uh, they beat Wang and Shea in the semi finals. So Su Wei Shea is not going to be the world number one in the doubles. That will go to Coco Goff and Jesse Pagula as a result.
1: I mean, unbelievable, really, when you think about it, that result. I mean, they haven't really played that much together this season. It's a a new partnership. Seeded 16, and they did get a bye, I think, in one of their matches. And they've really just, ever since then, they've just grown and grown and grown. So I think that the bye was against maybe it was Vondrusova and Stritzva when they had to pull out because of Wondrus have been potentially been injured and they've made the most of it and beaten probably the pair to beat in the tournament so far so this could be Grand Slam women's doubles win number one for Gabby maybe
0: yeah because she's won mixed, hasn't she but not not ladies doubles so um yeah we wish her all the very best for for the final uh very exciting times and um before we have a quick break, uh, and before you, you and Joel uh, discuss the ladies' semi final results, we do have to talk about collector set because, uh, once again, we've been running our collector set predictions challenge for the US Open. And we actually do have an outright winner, which we can reveal already. Um, this person got four correct answers, wow. which was above and beyond anyone we else. Never we, get four. N- no need for a, a tiebreaker. It's quite unusual to get four. I have to say, it's quite difficult to to get four. Um but yeah, shall we should we reveal who, the winner, who was it, Chris? Kim? Who was the winner? Come on. <laughs> so actually the winner is Mike McKenzie, aka my dad. Um so he got well Alcaraz Mike. <laughs> well done, Mike. He got Alcaraz, Tommy Paul, Von Druseva, and Walsniaki all all correct in his predictions.
1: Um, so, No tiebreak needed for Mike.
0: No tiebreak needed. Um, Mike has been playing from the very beginning of Collector Set. So, I think all his sort of hard work each time entering his predictions has finally paid off.
1: So, you're saying to listeners to keep trying and keep then eventually playing. you'll get your mic drop.
0: <laughs> I like that pun there. Uh, but yes, so well done, Dad. Um, I will get you your tennis weekly mug. Uh, Save on the postage Maybe drop it <laughs> off. Save on on the postage yeah um that helps the tennis weekly funds as well it does but it yes. does help us uh, <laughs> thanks to everyone who played um special mention as well um we did also get someone else who got sits pass right uh batman gkb2 so apologies the other day we did um miss you out but there was uh, a few that were to blame for right. my
1: spread spreadsheet issues conditional formatting not my forte
0: (laughs) and just out of us three um we did have to you know we do have a slam spoon of shame that's got to be passed on to the next person doesn't have
1: to be passed on does it
0: kim uh i think i think actually you're the current holder yeah Yeah. you're the current holder based on your i think coco goff at wimbledon yes prediction which doesn't look so bad uh, you know now but um me and joel got two correct answers in collector set this year we got von juiciver and Mukova correct mm. uh, but chris you didn't get any right sadly
1: i got zero so i will be keeping the spoon of shame i would like to say that i don't think that i'm to blame for this i actually think that i'm very disappointed in the players <laughs> the players
0: <laughs> should have
1: done either better or worse based on what i put on the paper
0: they have let you down uh, greatly um, exactly I- Well, thanks to everyone who played. Well done, Mike McKenzie for your win. And um, yeah, thank you so much for taking part. Um, We are now going to head to a very quick break. And when we come back, Joel and Chris will be discussing the ladies' semi-final action.
2: Our US Open coverage is sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. If a comprehensive solution
1: is what you need for your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase.
2: Go to drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. That's drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. Check it out. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly podcast sponsored by AG1 and now we're going to move on to ladies semi-finals and to do that at Tennis Weekly HQ we have myself back in the hot seat with Chris. We recorded this straight after the ladies semi-finals so Kim has been metaphorically kicked out of Tennis Weekly HQ and
1: replaced something by me. Something has changed, Joel. I think something is a bit different in the second half. I think <laughs> I did notice. I did notice the difference. But um, I mean, this way, we get everyone's opinion on things. And we no one escapes from a prediction, put it that no way. No one
2: escapes. And also, I can gloat some more about how I predicted Coco Goff to get to the final. Um, you did schedule it so that you could talk about this result. I just need every moment to bask in this in this moment. Because as I say, it doesn't really well. happen to me that often where i predict the final i can also inform
1: you you may have missed on the last episode with kim and myself that in collector set you're actually looking pretty good for maybe three of the six potentially depending on the alcaraz result and wow given our past performances at collector set joel that's probably your best
2: result since i've joined What is going on what is going on uh yes well incredible well we'll have to we'll have to wait and see but yeah i'm gonna I'm going to have all my fingers all my fingers crossed. But yeah, we're going to be talking about women's semi finals now. Madison Keys, Arena Sabalenka, Coco Goff, Karolina Mukova. We're going to start with the second one. We're going to start with America's own Coco Goff defeating Karolina Mukova, 6 4, 7 5 in straight sets. Coco Goff now into another Grand Slam final, her first Grand Slam final at home. There was a protest that uh, delayed the match by 50 minutes midway through. Chris, what did you make of this match? Because these two had played each other in Cincinnati and Goff won that relatively easily in, in straight sets. On the scoreline alone, this was another straight sets job for Coco Goff. Was there anything different from the Cincinnati final compared to this? Or how did you see it play out to a, to a Coco Goff victory?
1: Yeah, I think Coco did say that she thought it would be a completely different scenario because Mukova did have some physical issues, she said in Cincinnati. So we we're expecting a bit more of a close encounter. It was slightly closer in that second set, but it was quite an unusual match. You know, you did mention the protests and Coco did get quite a handy lead um in that first set. And then Mukova started to kind of um bring her bring her back and it got to six four from a five one start. And it, it was it wasn't pretty tennis at all no um
2: yeah it was like combined 20 winners to 60 odd unforced errors across both of them
1: yeah it was a combined 28 winners to i think it was actually 61 um unforced errors so it wasn't pretty i think it was about winning ugly which obviously is brad gilbert's um whole like <laughs> mo basically and it out i mean it for those watching i think the story is fantastic i think it was quite disappointing to see um it not necessarily one, but maybe um, players did in Ostapenko. And it's a similar thing where if you hit 36 unforced errors and only 15 winners, you're going to lose the match. So I think it's a great story for Goff. I'm super thrilled for her in this sense and making a second Grand Slam final. But it was a bit of an odd one with the protests in the middle and with the kind of interruption. I think it didn't lead to kind of the best or tennis match when it came to the quality.
2: Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about that. Climate protest that went on because it did delay the match by a fair chunk, around uh, you know fifty minutes or so. And I thought the comments by Coco Goff afterwards were quite interesting because she said. I think that throughout history, moments like this are definitely defining moments. I believe in climate change. I think there are things we can do better. I know the tournaments are doing things to do better for the environment. I always speak about preaching about what you feel and what you believe in. It was done in a peaceful way, so I can't get too mad at it. Obviously, I don't want it to happen when I'm winning up 6-4-1 love and I wanted the momentum to keep going, but hey, If that's what they feel they needed to do to get their voices heard, I can't really get upset at it. Um, I was actually a little bit surprised by these comments because I thought she would have said, you know, I believe in climate change, but there's a time and a place for everything and doing something like this during... Uh, a women's semi-final is not the right place and time but actually she came out and basically said you know you do you i'm you know i'm happy and if that's the way you want to express it then then go ahead so i don't know for me those comments took me by surprise a little bit how did you interpret them i i actually thought it was quite refreshing if i'm honest
1: that you know she's not going to come out and slam them for doing it or for expressing themselves or protesting or having a voice i think that is something that she's always sort of stood up for in that sense so I think it's actually quite, um, it's almost a realist approach. People are going to protest. I think she thinks that people have a right to protest and she wants to make that heard. And, you know, I mean, not everyone says they believe in climate change. Not everyone lends their voice to this. And normally it's just, oh, I didn't know what was happening. There was some confusion on the court and then we had the delay. And then you complain about the fact you have a 15 minute delay. But I think even the way that she's talked about it, yes, you don't want to see it as being encouraging climate, uh, climate protesters, which we've seen at multiple slams. I and mean, when we saw... Um, the girl at the French Open who actually um, uh, tied herself around her neck to the the net post, which was obviously very, very dramatic. And then she glued, I think, her wrist to the, the net as well. So it is obviously um, a, very, a bit different this time. They glued themselves to um, the floor. Um, but the 50 minute delay, I do think that that was poorly handled by the US Open. Um because I don't think we've ever seen a delay this long for a protest. I mean, even picking up the jigsaw pieces at Wimbledon um, with the help of Katie Balter um, and Darius Savile, I mean, they got that done pretty quickly. So um, I think there was no real excuse for this being a 50 minute delay in the middle of a Grand Slam semi-final. And we've seen protesters before, we've seen it dealt with much better, but I think because it was so high up in the stands, it was so hard for them to kind of track it down that quickly and to to get them to exit. So very unfortunate from the rhythm of the match. And I think because of that reason, the match never really got going or kind of regained that uh, excitement because you need to be in it. You need that momentum, as she said,
2: and you need kind of to see the tennis play continuously. Yeah, the quality of the match probably left... Uh, a little bit to be desired um yeah i would just say on that protest as well i think the fact the fact that it did happen like in the crowd to me that was one thing like as i say i don't like seeing protests come onto the the tennis court where the pros are um oh yeah to threaten their safety that's that is a mm, really big issue yeah exa- exactly so um you know I, I was sort of like like quite happy i guess that it happened i say in like in the crowd and not on the court. But yeah, perhaps it could have been handled um a bit quicker. I mean, someone else, Chris, who was in the crowd looking on, was Naomi Osaka, um, which is quite interesting. Naomi Osaka has, you know, been doing some interviews um in Flushing Meadows and uh, you know, she has said that she's gonna be back next year she's got lots of tournaments already on her schedule so it sounds like she's itching uh, to get back but um i thought it was quite interesting yeah the fact that Osaka was looking on um on the semi-final Goff versus Mikavel I mean Coco Goff said <laughs> she didn't actually notice her kind of sitting there until after the match and she said thanks for coming Naomi I remember the moment we had on this court three years ago it meant a lot to me so excited to have you back on tour hopefully I get to meet your daughter so yeah, what do you think was first of all going through naomi osaka's mind when she was you know, watching watching this tennis watching a semi-final do you think she was like man i wish that was me or what do you think she made maybe about the the quality of the tennis um yeah she's been off the tour for a while so you know for, it's great to see her i think back in the a bit of the spotlight a little bit but yeah what did you what did you make of that well i was surprised she came back again
1: i thought she was mainly there for the speaking duties that she did the day before um, but then to see her back watching the tennis and at a night match, I thought it was quite interesting to see that she's clearly doing some scouting ahead of her retort, return to the tour in Australia. I think she's trying to see, suss out the rest of the field, where's the level at? And based on the performance, I mean, there is definitely room for Anomi Osaka to come back in. And it's a bit different now that I think, yes, the standard has gone up probably across the board, um, but there's no reason why Naomi couldn't play, you know, tennis Of of that level, if not higher. So, I think it is um, great to see her back. And we talked about this in the last podcast that um, it's good that she has this desire to come back and play more tournaments and a much fuller schedule. And I think that a lot of the girls will be pleased to see her back because um, there's a lot of players. We talked about a lot of players coming back. There'll be a lot of excitement in some of the slams coming up and a lot of big names who are returning. And uh, that's what tennis needs. It needs those big names. It needs that for tickets. It needs that for the tour, for the news, for the interviews, for the headlines. So, um yeah it's, it's all good for me
2: what do you think will be the biggest change just just on Naomi Osaka what do you think will be the biggest change from when she was competing let's say competing full-time on the WTA tour to hopefully this moment when she comes back and is a lot more kind of full-time on the WTA tour what do you think is going to be the biggest difference she's going to see between past and 2024 You know what, I think the biggest difference will be
1: within herself because I think she actually does want to play tennis now. I think it's really ignited the fire in her once again, having her daughter and taking time away. I think previously she kind of played to not disappoint, whether that was her parents or kind of get approval from people in some way. And I think now she's very much past that. I think that Taylor Townsend spoke beautifully about kind of being um, a mother and that it's actually kind of you have to surrender control in so many different things and you control what you can. And it's about kind of responding Um, to that in a way that kind of gives you a much better perspective when it comes to things because you know when to push because you can't make your your toddler do whatever you want them to do and (laughs) you definitely uh, adds to your patience. So I think it will be more that that, the game hasn't changed particularly, but I think there have been lots of changes within her that will make her very grateful to be back on the court, even though she doesn't have to ever work again or do anything. I think it's a bit like Serena, you know, the love of the game is what keeps people in the game. So, um, and I think that's the same with Coco. I think, We made some comparisons last time, but Coco is enjoying it. I think even when she wasn't playing well, she's enjoying the fight. She's enjoying the hustle at six four one, love She wants to make sure she seals the deal. She's not necessarily that stressed at that moment. I mean, even when she was leaving the court after that protest, uh, she actually asked if she could could have her phone. She said, "Um, I just want to go on TikTok. And the tournament director said, did she just say TikTok? And Coco said, yeah, I just want my phone. So clearly she's not feeling the stress in the same way she used to. And I think that's obviously something that has made... Um, a big difference to her game in this. But um, I'd ask you the question, Joel, talking to another player. Obviously, we haven't talked that much about Mukova yet um, in terms of the semi-final appearance. What did we make of her semi-final run here? Um, she backed up kind of the result from um, the Cincinnati. French Open. And Cincinnati. Um, and Cincinnati, yeah. yeah. So she has kind of had that dip. She's had, kind of could be set for a pretty good end to the season.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, she's been playing some great tennis recently. I think she's now kind of delivering, I think, on her potential after all those, you know, terrible injuries that just kind of kept her off the court. And uh, it's just nice, I think, to see her in enjoying her tennis again. And um, I think a semi-final at US Open, I think, you know, we see players who might has to say, kind of peak early, you know, I think that was probably the biggest wonder, the fact that, you know, she got to the Cincinnati final and you thought, you know, you could have arguably thought, yeah, that's, that could have been the her peak moment. But I really am I'm impressed by how she kind of carried that on. Um, and actually she deliv- She made sure she delivered um, at the final Grand Slam as well. And, you know, she's a very consistent player in terms of the fact that, you know, she's now reached the quarterfinals at least at all Uh, grand slams and I think it really kind of sets herself up really I think for hopefully next season providing that she can stay fit I think she can be a constant threat and fix her in the top 10 you know exactly and uh, I don't think you know we could never really talk before I think about Karolina Mukova in terms of being that constant presence and you know I don't think there's any question on the the tennis that she can deliver, but as I said, it's that I think consistency and the fact that we, you know, see her on 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 the tour for a couple of months and then she disappears because she's injured and you know, we don't know where she is, but I think the tour is a lot better with uh, a Carolina Mukova present for it. Um do you think she has grand slam winning capabilities? You talked about the fact that the chasing pack have, have stepped it up. Is that gonna make it even tougher for someone like Carolina Mukova? to potentially win her first Grand Slam title? I think
1: this year we have seen, you know, more consistency from the top players in the game. I think it's not necessarily been um, a case that we think that anyone can win any slam at any time. Obviously, Von Drusever was a bit of a surprise result at Wimbledon. Um, But when you look at some of the other slams this year, you know, it's the number one and the number two and potentially the new number one that might be winning it. So um, I think it does show that it's a bit more... Um, consistent at the top and you know even this um final and the semi-finals we've had uh they are three top ranked players in there um in the sense of top 10 for mukova we've got Coco's in the top 10 and sabalenka obviously very highly ranked and the surprise package really is madison keys so i think it will be a case that not every slam will you make it this far i think you know there are so many uh, great players out there that a quarter final is no shame if you draw sabalenka or if you draw an inform on Djibouti. I think there's a lot of players who can win titles, but I think the players at the top are actually really pushing on now, and it's going to be increasingly hard for a breakout win because you have to get through a lot of players who've won slams or have done it and have experience there that uh, we haven't always had on the tour.
2: And you've got to throw in also players who just at any Grand Slam they could just they could just peak. And I put Madison Keys in that category um Madison Keys lost in her semi-final to arena Sabalenka Sabalenka coming through in quite a quite a funky scoreline right love six getting bageled in the first set love six and then two tie breaks, 7-6, seven, 7-6. Six, seven, six. She won the championship tie break at the end, 10-5. She actually celebrated too early. She thought it was to seven, which was a bit awkward. She threw her racket down. But um, yeah, Sabalenka getting it done, um, living up to the fact that she is now the world number one, having taken over from Iga Fiontek. But where do you stand on this match, Chris, on the fact that was this Sabalenka just being very very resilient Yeah, you know, the fact she was six love five three down and being able to claw your way back into the match from the brink or is this madison keys yeah yeah like telling her you you let this one go you're one game from making another us open final and you let it slip i i think
1: unfortunately Um, It's a very similar story to that Von for quarterfinal where she was playing fantastic tennis in the first set. She was playing well in the second, but there were chances for Von for to break back when she was serving for it. And you just always feel with Madison Keys. And she's a phenomenal player. I think she's a wonderful person. But I think when it comes down to those crunch moments... All it takes is her to go a little bit off the boil and it can be a full meltdown. So I think credit to her in this scenario that she still stayed with it and she still made every set competitive despite the fact that she was up and to refocus after serving for a place in the final and missing that opportunity. I think there's a real testament to some mental resilience that she has really built upon there. And I think there are so many positives to say that she didn't completely kind of... um, you know, self, um, self-destruct after that. And I think that's something that's really impressive. But she did go 4-2 up in the third and then was broken back immediately. So I think it is this sort of constant struggle that Madison Keys faces is that um, there will be wobbles. Um, and a lot of them do happen, unfortunately, at some of the key moments in matches, whether that's the end of, um, end of the, the, uh, the final set tie break or whether that's, you know, serving for the match. And they're the sort of things that when she is on, we've talked about it, plan A, Plan A is a six-love set against the new world number one, you know? There's no doubt she has the tennis, but whether she has the mentality and the kind of the mental fortitude in those moments and the mental kind of strength in those moments, I think is the only thing you have to question. Um, if she plays percentage tennis at the right time, should she just get a serve in, you know? Should she mix up the pace a bit? Should she make Sabalenka beat her at times? But the stats were great from both both girls from the match in terms of... The winners unforced errors it was a high quality match but yeah. um after that first
2: set that first set from madison keys was fantastic i mean she hit 12 winners only five unforced errors she just blew sabalenka off the court and lights you, out it's it's yeah it's it's you know it, it's crazy and you know before we came on for recording you said to me that you think that madison keys should be by the end of her career a multiple grand slam she should singles have been. i really believe that yeah can you still see a path for her to become a Grand Slam champion? And what is she going to need to do in order to reach that moment? Do you th- do you genuinely think it's like the tennis is there to win a Grand Slam, but what's holding her back is the mental side of the game? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, she she played a uh, that match years and
1: years ago when she was first, like 14 or something against Serena Williams as part of like the world team tennis. And she won the set. Um, she's an unbelievable talent. She's an unbelievable ball striker, and her movement has only improved. And she's—I mean, shes mean she has got the game. She's one of the biggest hitters on tour. One of the best ball strikers I think I've ever seen. Um, the problem is, is that in a Grand Slam, seven matches, and that's—and for her to do that, it would need to be almost straight sets in every match. You know, she'd need fourteen sets of perfect tennis. And if that doesn't happen, then the chances are she's going to get knocked off course on that on that way too. Um, a slam final or a slam victory. And when she reached the final in um, in the US Open, in, I think that was 2017 when Sloan won, I mean, that was six love, six three. So I think for me personally, I'm a big Madison Keys fan, but I kind of hope that Sabalenka would come through because I want the most competitive final going. And I think Coco Goff versus Madison Keys screams a, screams a scenario where Madison Keys might Just not be able to bring the best out of tennis. Yeah. yeah, so, but I think, I mean, I believe that, she can turn it on at any point. Um, I mean, Australia last year, she played some of the best tennis I've seen anyone play in the lead up to that semi-final result before she again, sort of beat herself. So really I'd say not that she isn't mentally strong. I think it's more that she can beat herself, you know, and I think Kvitova has had a very similar game style, but a much better way of dealing with the unforced errors. She's going to miss some, she's going to make some. And if I make more than I miss, I win the match. And that's how Kvitova has always thought. And it's led to two grand slam titles. So I think it's a similar situation, but a different
2: mentality. Yeah, and Irina Sablenka there w- was there to basically take full advantage of that. I mean, it's still impressive, the fact that she was six love down, bageled in a women's semi-final in that first set and was able to come through. That does not happen very often. This in is fact- awful, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> Daniela
1: Hantková.
2: Well, uh, I know. Well, I know, exactly. But that was like I think that was the only the third time a woman in the open era since 1968 has won a Grand Slam semi-final after losing the first set. I'm just going to throw some names here, Chris. Steffi Graf was one of them against Sanchez Vicario. At the 1992 French Open, and we had, as you mentioned, Anna Ivanovic against Daniela Hantuchova. I'm sure, I'm sure some of our oh, listeners probably remember so, that match. That was <laughs> so painful. I'm such a big <laughs> Hantuchova fan. I'm sure that came up on commentary as well uh, when she was on broadcasting duties.
1: Yeah, I mean, she has quite a light, um, light-hearted approach to it now. Of like, <laughs> oh, that happened to me, and I'm like, like Daniela, like that happened <laughs> that to could me. could have been
2: a Grand Slam final. Yeah.
1: But it would have been Sharapova, so I'm not sure that that was ever a good matchup for Mm. her, really. But um, yeah, I mean, it it is impressive. And I guess the question that I'd ask you based on this is that... um, So previously, uh, she'd only actually won one of her semi-finals. She had got a bit of a semi-final sticking point, Sabalenka. Um, And obviously, the way this started, it kind of led to the fact that you would think, you know, maybe she does have this sort of thing where she wants to get to the final a bit too badly. You saw her play against on's in that match and mm. that was in
2: many ways a
1: match that she could I mean, it have was won.
2: bubbling it was bubbling you know she was she wasn't it wasn't um you know she had to come through real adversity and you know she was very much talking to her her camp and just being frustrated i think the most frustrating thing probably from her point of view is that the way madison keys was playing in that first set i just even if you're the world number one it must be incredibly frustrating i think to think well I just can't. I just can't do anything about this. Like this, the tennis that is coming back at me is is just too good, and I'm just, you know, hoping that the level is going to drop, or you know, sensing that moment and capitalising on it. And I think a Sabalenka of old would have just would have just combusted. they would have just been like this has got away from me. Too big. Yeah, almost would have tried to gone too big and it would have ended probably in a, in a straight sets victory for, for Madison Keys, But again, uh, the maturity I think Sabalenka has developed, particularly on the court and, you know, talking about, you know, Coco Goff in terms of being a real-time strategist and problem solver, um, I think Sabalenka showed that, you know, in, in this match and the fact that it wasn't obviously going all her way for the first set and a half and she was able to, you know, rise to the occasion when it mattered most and, um, you know, take it through on, uh, you know, in, in two tie breaks. So. so you've kind of alluded there to obviously the
1: fact that when Madison Keyes is playing like that, how can you you to wait for her level to drop, basically? Yeah. Which, I mean, applies that she's got, I mean, Grand Slam winning game, but she's just got to get it done blooming quickly, a bit like Hanchukova mm. won a fantastic set in them. But do you think that Sabalenka earning kind of, it's the first season that she's got 50 match wins, um, Surely, winning that many matches must mean that you know that you're going to you have a chance. A better,
2: you can play better tennis than Madison Keys. I mean, yes, I, I agree, but I think on, in that moment, I don't. Well, I, I just don't think she was. Um, I mean, I think you you probably sense when, with, particularly with someone like a Madison Keys, when they are like redlining in in that first set, I, I do think you think look, this based on what we've seen in the past from Madison Keys, I know. I know deep down, You're I gonna know I'm going to get chances. A gonna get chances. For it. Yeah, you just exactly. got to wait. You just got to bide your time and, and wait for them. And you know it's never over until it's over. And regardless of keys being so close, Sabalenka just sensed the moment. It was hit. It was. It was right now. And you know she's now into. Um, she you know she's now into U.S. Open final. I mean, this would be a real statement, wouldn't it? If you know Shviontek passing the baton. Well, reluctantly. No, I wouldn't say
1: she's passing it. I think it's been grabbed and snatched from yes. her by Yelena yeah, Ostevenko. So
2: I was trying to use a metaphor that got that across in a more sort of forceful way. Wrestled yes. from her. Wrestled from her, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but this would be a real statement, wouldn't it, for, for Sabalenka, now into the final, could go on and win. She has been the best player this year, and this would be the, I think, the icing, the icing on the cake, because in previous years, I think... We maybe would have seen this a, a, a slam or two across the year. But the fact is now, I mean, she's reached at least the semi-finals of all four grand slams. And no one has done that since Serena Williams in 2016. So to talk about Sabalenka in terms of that consistency, it's just a complete wilder away I think, from how we have been speaking about Sabalenka over the last few seasons yeah and actually that stat is true for the
1: quarterfinals too it's the first time since 2016 that someone's made the quarterfinals wow. of every slam which just shows you just how crazy that is but i guess the thing that i kind of have the big question about here is when it comes to the final um do we think that there will be that added pressure now this is she is the vulnerable one this is the perfect story um she will want to cement that and i think that's obviously very different things that are very different pressures you know coco goff playing kind of against the pressure of home a home crowd potentially of that perfect story becoming a team a team Grand Slam champion Um, and I think it makes for quite a fascinating sort of head-to-head really like a match-up because we've got these two stories that are running but also these two players are completely different from last season and Coco Goff is completely different from you know that Wimbledon first round loss and
2: it's going to be like playing a different a different player almost for them. What do you think is the bigger pressure do you think coco goth in front of home fans or arena sabalenka living up to being world number one without igas Swiatek present
1: i think raducanu said it everyone wants to be a slam champion and when people criticize her she's like i've got one i've done it you know they all want what i have in that sense and i really think that that's so true um She's got the slam. That was the biggest hurdle for her. You know, again, she should have won slams before she won Australia. I think a lot of us were predicting maybe a couple of years before that, that maybe she'd pick up one. So I think for her, this is about progressing on and moving forwards. And I think she should have probably done better at Wimbledon than she did. I think she did play the best tennis at Wimbledon Um, in that lead up to that final. I think it did look like pretty ominous there. Um, and so I think she's got to start taking these opportunities. So that is the pressure I think she'll feel is that she should be picking up more slams. You know, she should be doing better in some of these semifinals. Um, whereas with Coco, I think she isn't the she isn't the favorite. You know, she still isn't the favorite, which does make it a bit easier. Um, it didn't work out for her in Paris because she wasn't the favorite, but also Iga is phenomenal on clay, and Coco does did still have some technical weaknesses. And it's a big big stage for your first final but it's a very very unusual one where the second uh second grand slam final for both of them very different experiences obviously Savalenka came through a three setter um to win her first title um so she's one from one versus Coco Goff did, probably didn't have the best experience when it, she said she was quite emotionally drained before that final
2: um in Paris so do you think there will be any baggage there from Coco Goff's point of view the fact that you know when she was in this situation before it just did go so badly against Iga Fiontech in that French Open final. I think she's got a point to prove.
1: And I think the new Coco Gauff and the way that she's thinking is that she's going to enjoy playing that final mm. in a way that she probably didn't enjoy. And Brad Gilbert keeps telling her to smile. And I think she is going to love the moment no matter what. And she's got a positive head to head. And if she does lose, there's no shame in it. I think Serena Williams taught us all that, that, you know, she could lose those Grand Slam finals in the twilight of her career and she still knew that it was fine. You know, she'd won 23 more. And I think a few years before that, I think she felt the pressure to hit that number. And I think over time, it did actually drop for her because either way, you know, she still reached a Grand Slam final. She's still going to set herself up for a great season next year and she's playing the best tennis of her career. So I think the pressure probably is a little bit bigger now on, on Sabalenka really, because she's got to take these opportunities. Um, but in predictions, moving on to the prediction side of things, Joel... Unfortunately, I will remind our listeners that Joel did predict this final. Yes. Um, but
0: I've, got, a predict to a I've got to stick Coco to the predictions. Coco Goff victory. Are you saying
2: Coco Goff in two? Three? Goff in... ah. Th- uh, I'm not looking at their most recent match, which was a very straightforward result for Sabalenka in Indian Wells. 6-4, 6-love. Um, I'm going Coco Goff in three.
1: I think Sabalenka in two. Ooh, um, Okay. I got it wrong though for the muck of a result and I bet against Coco, so I shouldn't really do that again. But it's a tough one, isn't it? Because it does depend on how they're playing. But if Sabalenka isn't feeling the ball, I mean, Coco Goff is such a good mover, she's almost the Mm -hmm. worst opponent you could play. But I think the match we won and lost based on who plays front foot tennis, I think if Coco takes the initiative, I think she can really enforce her game on. On Sabalenka and kind of stop Sabalenka playing her game in a similar way that Madison Keys did, but maybe not as
2: emphatic as a sixth love. But it's going to be about taking the opportunity. So there you go. Chris has Sabalenka into Joel has Coco Goff in three. And we- Kim had eager winning, just to reminder, everybody. Had eager winning, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, very, very exciting. I'm really, really looking forward to that. Are we going to get some more Jolly Rancher references? I hope so as well. Um, but uh, we also have, Chris, I, I just want to mention this. Mixed doubles final, it's on a Saturday. What is this? It's not on a Thursday. It's at the weekend. Uh, we've got Krycek and Pagula, who are the top seeds, against Danilina and Helio Vara. Kudos, I think, to the US Open organisers for putting a final at the weekend. Cause, yeah, I think goodness. This... A, a, what was it, a Wednesday evening, a uh, Thursday yeah, evening? It just, like, just felt like just get it out of the way as, as
1: early as possible. Exactly. And I think um, there still is a chance that both of these mixed doubles players in the final of... Have... Krychek and Pagula could both be doubles number one. It depends on how Shea Su Wei does, whether she does pick up her mm. third consecutive Grand Slam, but that would be quite entertaining. And it will be an Arthur Ashe um, with an All-American uh, side facing off against um, a Kazakh and Finnish pair. So they beat Ben Shelton and Taylor Townsend and previously they'd never won a match together, Pagula and Krychek, wow. despite their best efforts. So it would be great to see Pagula not go away completely empty-handed, Joel.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, But yeah, really glad we're seeing that um, at the weekend. I mean, just very quickly to end on in the wheelchair news as well. We had Alfie Hewitt continue uh, his US Open title defence in the singles. He had a really good win against Takuya Miki in the quarterfinals. Uh, Gordon Reid as well beat the fourth seed. Martin De La Puente uh, also to reach the last four. So the Brits doing really, really well there. And in the quad event, Andy Lapthorne is through to the semis uh, with a win over his teammate, Donald Rampardi. So uh, yeah, very, very good. Um, it was unfortunate a little bit, yeah, Lucy Shuka was out to D-Day De Groot, but I mean, D-Day There's De no De Groot, shame in that loss. She's no, yeah. like the Roger Federer of, Women's wheelchair tennis. I swear, she Um, really
1: is. (laughs) Oh, the Roger Federer. Hello. Wait a second. Not the Novak Djokovic. Oh well. The Rafael Nadal. Maybe all of them be happy. All of them in one.
2: All of them in one. Um, The goat, yes. (laughs) But yeah, I mean that we're going to wrap up our semi-finals catch-up there. Finals weekend is upon us. We are in the home stretch, and we have got some fantastic matches to look forward to. So uh, I'm, I'm Chris. I'm really excited for our final finals at u.s open catch up so we can we can chat about you know these matches because i do think We've got to the business end of the tournament you and you want to gloat it I can has tell delivered. you need to know and if I you gloat. how confident I gloat. you can be exactly yeah. how many times can I mention it well let's see let's see come on Coco Goff but um yes listeners I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action still to come from flashing meadows over finals weekend at the US Open we're on Apple Podcasts Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
1: You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can purchase exclusive Tennis Weekly merch at our Etsy store. That's etsy.com slash shop slash Podcast. You can email the show at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com
2: or check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Monday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our finals US Open catch-up sponsored by... The big one. The big one, exactly. Sponsored by AG1. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.